often. Um, and we met at a church in West London, actually with our, and then, but, and then and happened to get married to other people who were at that church as well. <laughs> um, and we, yeah, have kind of stayed friends ever since, even though there was a period where she moved heartlessly to America for five years. Um, but it's back now, and they, Laura and her family live in Sheffield. Um, and, yeah, it's been... Um, just when I was thinking about this event and kind of how I, you know, who, what to do and who to have. And just, I feel like God really um, put kind of Laura in my heart to come and speak. And so, yes, very excited. Um, and is that an, enough entry, intro? Yeah, um, can I just pray for you before you begin? So, Father God, thank you so much for Laura and the message that she's prepared for us today. Um, and I just pray um, that you will give us hearts, and hearts that are open and ears to hear what you have for us. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Lydia. Thank you. That was really, that was special. Thank you. Um, just talk amongst yourselves while I unlock this thing. Okay. <coughs> Um, yeah, wow, I really sense God's presence in the room this morning, so um, I'm excited uh, that he's going to meet with us today. Um, I am going to start with a confession. Um, I am a Londoner, but I'm from north of the river, and so I can only ask forgiveness for that. Um, I'm married to a Croydonite. Croydonian? Anyway, he's a South Londoner and he still has a hard time with my North Londoners, so um, I get it. Um, I did not grow up Christian, uh, quite the opposite. I became a Christian at university about 12 years ago and that's a whole other story. Um, so yeah, when Lydia invited me to join you today, um, we spent some time listening to God and we just kind of both sensed um, that maybe wanted what he wanted to talk to us about this morning um, was this idea of a living relationship with him, of intimacy with him. And when I say the word intimacy, what do you think of? What comes to mind? I, you can, yeah. <laughs> Closeness. Any particular relationships come to mind? Yeah, like parents, yeah, parents, close friends, yeah. It's that familiarity, it's that deep closeness, and it comes from actually the Latin intimus. Um, I had to Google, I didn't actually know that, so I'm not, I don't know Latin or anything. Um, but it comes from the Latin intimus, which means inmost, and it's that inmost familiarity that comes from deep, deep relationship. And does it feel a little weird to be thinking about our relationship with God in terms of intimacy. So why don't we just start there? Why intimacy with God? So if you cast your minds back to the creation story, um, with Adam and Eve, we can see that we're hardwired for that close relationship with God, a living relationship with God as well as with each other. It's how he made us and one of the things in thinking about this talk, I noticed in those passages that Eve is made so that man is not alone. And I offer this next bit gently because I don't want to go down a like hypergendered rabbit hole. But my husband and I were wondering aloud to each other, I wonder if God made women with a more innate, intuitive um, 
understanding of what intimacy is and does and looks like. And maybe that can be part of our gifting to the church, um, is modeling and leading in that. Um, but we're all hardwired for intimacy with God, and, and the fall broke that intimacy. Um, first through Eve, she violates that intimacy with God. He's told her everything she needs to know, be blessed, be fruitful, multiply, eat this, don't eat this. Um, and then some stranger comes along, the snake, and says, you're not going to die. God just doesn't want you knowing X, Y, Z. And she never stops to circle back with God. She never stops to go back to God and say, hey, God, this snake says you're lying. So what's up? And I just wonder if you ever had a friend or a a spouse or a child go behind your back and remember what that felt like, the severing of that bond of trust. Um, that's part of what is happening in that fall story. Um, but then the good news is that Jesus came to restore our intimacy with God and it took his dying on the cross to do that for us. But what I love is that while a woman is central to the fall story, so too a woman is central to the redemption story. And I love that um, I always get so teary talking about Mary. <laughs> but I love that a woman's radical trust in God. I just love that that, sorry, you don't know me. I'm not normally a crier. <laughs> um, I love that her radical, risky, ridiculous trust in God is what helps bring him into this world. Because Jesus could have come any kind of way. God is God. He can do whatever he wants. But what he chose was for Jesus to literally be carried and birthed by a woman. And so Mary, maybe more than anyone in history, understands what it means to have an intimate relationship with God. So intimacy with God, we're hardwired for it. The fall broke it. Jesus came to restore it. And the Holy Spirit is uh, continuing that work today. So that's the big picture of why this is even worth talking about in the first place. Um, and that's kind of what I've got for us today. I want to go through a psalm and we'll try a few little practices that I've personally found helpful in um, deepening my intimacy with God recently. Um, but before I start, what I don't want you all to do is walk away thinking you have a ton more stuff on your to-do list. Um, Jesus's yoke is light, and my husband is constantly reminding me that my yoke is heavy. Um, so take Jesus's yoke, don't take mine. <laughs> um, and I love this quote from the theologian Dallas Willard. Um, he says, it's not up to you to make everything happen right now. Yoked to Jesus, Allow him to carry most of the load as you go about your day in his uplifting presence. And it's not that investing in our relationship with God doesn't require any effort with us because any relationship requires effort. It's that it doesn't require striving from us. And there is a difference there. Um, so let's start with the Bible, which is generally a good place to start. Um, I'm going to read, um, if you want to turn or tap to... Psalm 139, verses 1 to 10. I'll read it out as well. Um, this is by King David. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The pastor I love called Jordan Seng has a great prompt question for any Bible study, um, which is this. What bugs you about this passage? And this is the first practice I want to share with you, is looking at what is bothersome to you in Scripture can actually be a great way of discerning where your heart is at, what God is talking to you about, what he's challenging you with, what he's calling you into. Um, you don't have to squash that feeling. You can dig into it with curiosity and see what's there. I notice with the Bible, we tend to go one of two ways. We either, um, it can be scary to not have a straightforward response to Scripture. So we either repress our own um, feelings and write off ourselves, or we sort of block out the bits of the Bible that we don't like, and we write off the Bible in doing that. Either way, this can actually become a barrier to us engaging with God through the Bible, which is the point of the whole thing in the first place. So... Next time you read your Bible, just try it. See what bugs you. See what irritates you in a passage that you're reading and just see what happens because I think you can get to really interesting places with God through it. So in that spirit, here's what bugged me about this passage. Um, when I first sensed that this idea of intimacy with God was on my heart to share with you, um, this psalm is a classic about intimacy. As it goes on, you get the... I was knit together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and, fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, and it was written at a time, obviously, where Jesus was not physically, bodily present on earth with us. So King David probably has a better, more of an understanding, like we have an understanding um, of intimacy with God, unlike the disciples who actually got to follow Jesus around, watching him do crazy stuff. Um, so what bugged me was this verse. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And I realized there was something in me that was a bit offended at the idea that some knowledge was beyond me. And we live in this intellectualist age. And I found myself feeling a bit scoffy, like, well, if I put my mind to it, I could probably know myself. And I realized, I bet this is a bit of what Eve felt when she literally reached for that knowledge that was too high for her and when she violated that intimacy with God because whatever else King David who wrote the psalm got wrong which was a lot um he understood that intimacy with God is not an intellectual exercise it's a radical trust exercise it's surrender it's an organic process and as humans we simultaneously crave it and we resist it because we're humans and we're fallen and we live in a fallen world. So if you look at the first five, um, I'll just go a little bit deeper into the text. If you look at the first five verses, it's so close. It's you search me, you know me, even before a word is on my tongue, you're hemming me in. It's so close, it's almost claustrophobic. And then you can see verse six is the turn 
where he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, he's almost like overwhelmed by the power of God's intimacy, because this is where the power is. And then in verse 7, you almost kind of, he's entertaining the idea of, of running. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? He's almost considering or toying with the idea of doing a Jonah, you know, first boat to Joppa. Um, because it's so much to consider that God is everywhere. And he's more than everywhere. He's every when in our lives. And it's so human, that tension. And David gets it. We want that intimacy with God and with each other. We need it. We crave it. And yet there's something in us that finds too much and is tempted to run, avoid, reject, um, hide from intimacy with God. And that affects our souls and it affects our relationships with each other. Um, it affects our relationships with um, or how we fo function in, in church, in society, and that's why I just love this psalm because it's so raw and it's so real about how humans relate to that um, tension with God and about how deeply God knows us. So that's all well and good, um, but what do we get? Because <laughs> I'm a selfish Christian. So I always want to know what I actually get in this moment right now. Um, yes, the fall. Yes, redemption. Yes, treasures in heaven. Um, but... I'm going to ask you um, just for some quiet reflection for 10, 10 seconds. I'm not going to ask you to, to share this bit, but when was the last time you had a moment with God where you really felt like he was there or he came through for you or he said something to you? And as an aside, if you have no frame of reference for what I'm talking about, then maybe today is your day and we can pray together at the end. Or if it feels like a really long time since you've felt like relationship with God, we'd love to pray for that. But yeah, I'm just going to give you uh, 10 seconds to think about what was that, what was that last moment you had with him? Okay, and now I am going to ask you to share a bit, this next bit. What were some, how were you different or how did you have something different as a result of that moment with him? How did it change anything? Or what did it give you? In fact, I'm going to write some of these down. Yeah, is that okay? Oh, sorry. My handwriting is horrible. But you get it. Is that wow my handwriting or wow God? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. That's a legitimate answer, yeah. Yes. Anything else while I'm down here? Oh, gosh, this is really terrible. Um, <laughs> I, 
Forgiveness, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be all right. It's so true. How would you be different if you lived every day thinking like, yeah, it is going to be all right, and actually believing that? Um, so I don't know about you, but I want these things, and I want them now. And yet, in my walk with God, investing in our relationship is often the first thing that falls off the edge of the table. So what does... Oh, does anyone else have a burning desire to put anything else on the board? Okay, good. Um, yeah. We get him. That's what, how I'm interpreting part of the wow. We get him. It's okay to want a physical, tangible experience of God. Um, it's okay to want that to change you. We get increased faith. We get peace, patience, understanding, <clears throat> all those fruits of the Spirit. And we get relief from responsibility. Isn't that so nice? And we get the strength to obey him, to follow him wherever he asks us to go. We get forgiveness, the ability to let go of those who have hurt us and the ability to receive his forgiveness for the things that we've done to hurt him and hurt other people. And yeah, just get a sense that it's going to be all right. I would also add shalom to, the, I mean, this is like, shalom is kind of a cheat word because it sums up a lot of things, but that peace, harmony, wholeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility, all of that is all that we get from when we are in a really close place with him. So what gets in the way? I'm really sorry, I did not look at the time when I started talking. How long have I been talking for? Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so what gets in the way? We live in the now and the not yet. We're flesh. We're sinners saved by grace. We, we live in a spiritual battlefield. We're human. There's a lot going on. So we can know all of this. Um, and yet, as I said, it can, it can fall off the table. And the main things that occurred to me as I was thinking about that is the things that get in the way of my intimacy with God are distractions with the shallows of life, which aren't bad in themselves, but can preoccupy us in their immediacy. One example is a bit like my marriage at the moment. We have three small children and we're in the sort of animal phase of parenting, which is a lot of feeding and wiping and we're dressing, we're low-key annoyed all of the time. We're only ever inches from a tantrum. It's usually mine. And we're in the trenches and sometimes I get through a whole day and I realize I haven't made eye contact with my husband all day even though I've been around him, because we're so busy looking at the problem, and the problem is usually our kids, that, <laughs> they're great, um, that we've forgotten to look at each other. And that's not bad. Sometimes that's necessary. And in our relationship with God, sometimes it is that on-the-hoof relationship. Um, he's with us in the minutiae of the everyday. But when was the last time you stopped and made eye contact with him, so to speak? So there's, that's one thing. The other thing, and this is covering a lot of territory in a short amount of time, so the other thing is the undealt with stuff. Sin, disappointment, fear, shame. And what I'm not going to make us do this morning is unpack all our emotional and spiritual baggage and then 
piece out, but I do want to drill down on one thing that has, for me, got in the way historically of my relationship with God and that I wanted to share a bit with you, and that is disappointment. And if you are dealing with disappointment in a specific area of your life, something hasn't turned out the way you wanted, the job wasn't what you expected, the marriage isn't going so well, the, um, the health problems or the unfulfilled dreams, if you're dealing with those things, and we all are to some degree or other, bringing that to God and being real and honest about that is an act of intimacy. And avoiding bringing it to him is avoiding him, and it will impact your ability to engage with him at the deeper levels, which is where we get all of this good stuff. There's a woman called um, Wendy Mann, who is an amazingly powerful prophet and healer, and I'm going to quote a a fairly long quote from um, her book, Naturally Supernatural, because I think it's a really special um, practice that I've started using myself to process disappointment. The first step on the journey of dealing with disappointment is realizing that being real about your disappointment and expressing it to God is okay. I set aside an evening to work through my disappointment with God, shut myself away and got real with him. I said, when you didn't heal me, God, it felt like you didn't love me. I was so lonely, it seemed like you had abandoned me. I don't understand why you didn't heal me. I feel so disappointed. It's worth noting that I did not accuse God. I didn't tell him that he had abandoned me or he did not love me or he does not heal because those things aren't true. Instead, I told God how I felt about what happened. So her point is that when you express disappointment to God here, it's important um, that you be really honest with him without accusing him because the truth is that he is perfect in every way. So she goes on. The expression of disappointment went on for a while until I came to the end of myself. I decided to read the Psalms for a bit until I found one that expressed what I was feeling. And then I began to feel tired and strangely at peace and began to declare the truth about who God is. I spoke out loud the truth about his heart and his character. This is a new step in dealing with disappointment. Thank you, God, that the truth is you are the healer and you love to heal the sick. Thank you that you were Never leave me or forsake me. You were so close to me. Thank you, God, that you love me with an everlasting love. So speaking the truth out loud, um, rather than just thinking it, she says is really important in this process. And then she goes on. Being real about our disappointment gets all the pain, clogging up our hearts and attacking our faith out of our system. When we declare the truth about who God is, it goes really deep and our faith can be restored and strengthened. And this, I mean, what I love about Wendy is she's like totally out there, but also super practical. Um, And I have actually started doing this in my day-to-day life, just small, small ways. I don't have like a huge disappointment right now that I'm working through, although I'm sure there will be one at some point. But when I prayed for someone and that prayer hasn't been answered in the way that I was expecting, I take a moment just to think, God, yeah, that, that sucked. What, like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? It feels like this isn't working. And just to take a moment to allow myself rather than to stuff down those feelings or to rage at God in an accusatory way, I've just started to build in a little bit more time to feel the disappointment, take it to God, and just be with him in that. And maybe there is something occurring to you even now, some lingering disappointment, and I would really encourage you to 
go away and, and do this um, in a quiet time um, and just block out some time to share with God how you're feeling about that disappointment and just without pretending to him, without pretending to yourself, without accusing him, just, yeah, allow him to hold the space for you because he can take your disappointment. And I've really noticed a, a difference in my sense of connection with him. So that's the stuff that gets in the way, the stuff of life and the undealt with stuff of our hearts. Um, so how do we deepen our intimacy with God? And there's just, I mean, people have given their lives to talking about this. So there's loads of traditions out there. Um, the tradition of pilgrimage, if any of you follow Lectio 365, Pete Gregg is currently doing a pilgrimage and um, some of the Catholic traditions and some of the Celtic traditions. And there's just so many interesting ways that we get to relate to God and deepen our intimacy with him. Um, I'm going to share a couple of broad ones that I um, found helpful recently. The first one is surrender to him. And from Psalm 139, we know that he's already there. He's already in the deepest places of our hearts. He knows before we have a word or a thought. Um, but he's actually quite a respectful God, by and, by and large. And so he's not going to get stuck in working on you, really, when you don't give him permission to do so. And there's something really powerful in surrendering to him and giving him permission to work on us and surrendering to that process. And the thing that made me think about this first is a few months ago, I got a massage from my neighbor who is a masseuse. So yeah, it, it was normal. Um, and she goes to put some socks on my feet because it's quite cold in her house because we live in the north. Um, and she... I kind of brace my foot so she can get the sock on. Like, let me help you put this sock on my foot. And she shook my foot really hard and said in her Geordie accent, which I won't do, she was like, no, you don't do the work. I do the work. And that really convicted me to start thinking about how do I surrender more to God so that I can get closer to him and so be transformed into a likeness of Jesus? Where am I bracing against his will and where am I surrendering to it and surrendering is really hard it's humbling it goes against the like over functioning overworking hustle culture on one side and it goes against the kind of hashtag triggered um, over boundaried culture on the other and it's a discipline because it requires stillness and it requires giving up control of the story and that is incredibly countercultural. And so the very end, we didn't read it, but the very end of Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That is what surrender looks like. God is doing all of the stuff in that passage. David isn't doing anything. Um, you can tell I kind of have a bit of beef with David, but um, <laughs> David is doing nothing. He's just surrendering to God and asking, please, can you do this work on me? Search me, know me, see me, lead me. And those words have, have become a prayer of mine 
um, and that um, is another sort of very simple practice is just praying the Bible um, and the Psalms especially. Um, yeah, just sitting with those couple of verses and waiting for God to make himself known um, has been really special. And you can turn it into a question. What is my heart saying today, Lord? What are the grievous ways in me today? Lead me deeper today, Lord. Where are you leading me? Um, sorry to keep checking on time. How, mon- how long have I been going? I'm good. Okay. Um, so, what I want to end with is a way that we can make eye contact with him. Um, and this is a sort of short Christian meditation exercise that I've found useful. Um, and because as we've discussed, intimacy with God is not merely an intellectual exercise, but it's an emotional, physical, and imaginative exercise too. God talks through our imaginations to us. And it's really simple. And you can do this with any Bible passage um, and... Um, It might feel a little silly or weird at first, and that's okay, because it's not usually how we're taught to read our Bible. But I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes. And I assume, I'm going to assume that you're all familiar with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus, the headlines are, there's no food. Jesus is talking to a bunch of people, and he makes food for 5,000 people with a kid's lunch. But just imagine that you're there with all of your senses. Imagine you are the child who offers her lunch, your snack that becomes lunch for 5,000 people plus leftovers. Use all your senses as you remember this passage. Try to see the story. See the grass, the hills, the faces of the people. Try to hear the story, the sound of the water, the noise of the children, the voice of Jesus. What smells are there? See, bread, a crowd. What do you feel? The texture of your clothes, the hard ground, the sun overhead. Finally, try and feel with your emotions. Is there hesitancy maybe at offering your lunch? Astonishment at the miracle of multiplied food? Joy at the abundant generosity of God? So you're sitting there and then the crowd starts to leave with all their baskets of leftovers. They're chattering and amazed and Jesus goes up quietly into the hills and you're alone. You sit on a rock, warm from the sun, overlooking the water, re-experiencing the events of the the day. After a little while, Jesus returns and sits next to you. He's close enough to touch. For a time, you're both silent, looking out over the water and enjoying each other's presence. And after a bit, the Lord turns to you and asks this question. What may I do for you? And now I'm going to be quiet for a little bit while you tell him what's in your heart, your needs, your fears, your hopes. Emotions come. Don't block them. Jesus asks, what may I do for you?
When you've finished, you're both quiet for a while. And now you turn to the Lord and ask, what may I do for you? And now I'm going to give you some time to listen with the heart quietly and prayerfully. No instruction needs to come. You can just be glad to be in Christ's presence. And if some word does come to you, take it with utmost seriousness. It will probably be something super practical about something seemingly trivial. And then Jesus gets up, maybe gives your shoulder a quick squeeze, and he goes off on your way. And when you're ready, you go off on yours. And when you're ready, um, you can open your eyes. Feel free if you want to jot down notes on your phone or if you have pen and paper. Um, if you feel like anything came up for you, God shared anything with you today. Um, you can do that. Intimacy with God is a lifelong journey, and I'm very much a beginner on it. I've just said some of the things that are on my mind right now, but I do know that there are going to be rough patches and smooth patches, and I believe that he wants to meet with us this morning. Um, and just as I come into land, I want to share a word that Sarah had. That's your name? Okay, good, thanks. Um, just this word of identity, identity this morning. God knows us and he sees our identity in Christ. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And um, just this sense of that we are daughters of the king and we get to own that and we get to come home to ourselves um, when we know him. And so based off of that word, I'm going to read a quick uh, blessing um, and then hand over to Lydia to do some ministry time. So um, this is a blessing that is about coming home to yourself. May all that is unforgiven in you be released. May your fears yield to their deepest tranquilities. May all that is unlived in you blossom into a future graced with love. Ladies may be graced with love this morning. And my prayer for you is that um, yeah, you would just get to journey with God deeper and deeper. Thanks for having me. I'm going to hand over to Lydia now. Thanks so much, Laura. Um, that was really special. Thank you. We, it'd be really good to have some time to wait on the spirit now and um, you know, kind of process, I guess, a bit what we've heard. Um, and see what God wants to kind of continue to work in our hearts. So I think what I'm going to ask us all to do is just stand up, um, if you can. Um, 